Our scripture reading is taken from the book of Exodus chapter 20. You'll turn there in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. We'll be reading verses 1 through 3. As we begin looking at the first of the Ten Commandments this morning, reminding ourselves as what we probably already know, we may think we know these commandments, and we do, but we need to be reminded of them and we need to take a closer look at them every now and then that we might examine ourselves, that we might grow in God's grace and be even more thankful for the one who kept the law of God perfectly for us. So let's read the first three verses. Uh, we looked at verses one and two last week, but they serve as a sort of preamble for the commandments themselves. And then we'll finish with verse three, which is the first commandment. Hear now God's word. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. This is the word of the Lord. As children, we usually don't like orders, commands, prohibitions, rules. Don't play in the street. Clean up your room. Don't hit your brother. And on and on it goes. And as children, we think, oh, I can't do anything right. I always get caught. How does my mother know when she's on the other side of the house what I just said? And that it wasn't good. But even as grown-ups, we sometimes chafe at God's commandments. We feel sometimes constricted, restricted by the limitations that God places on us. Because it's very clear that there are certain ways that we can live our lives that are not pleasing to God and that God commands us to obey. Some of them are prohibitions, you shall not, and some of them are positively expressed commandments, you shall. And every one of us has to come to terms with the reality that God has given us these commandments. We looked last week at these first two verses, which I said are sort of the introduction uh, to the giving of the law themselves. And the thing that stands out that I, I sought to stress last week, and I want to emphasize it again today, is that grace comes before law. God says here, before he gives the commandments, he says, I delivered you. I redeemed you. I rescued you from slavery in Egypt. That was grace. That was a gracious redemption where God did what the, 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 the uh, Israelites could not have done for themselves. They were under the yoke 
of the tyrant Pharaoh. They had no ability to free themselves. That's why God raised up Moses. And God did these mighty works of the 10 plagues to the point that finally Pharaoh released the Israelites. And even then it was (laughs) half-hearted. But God did it. And when they crossed the Red Sea, in Exodus 15, we read the song of Moses as he led the people in praise to God for their deliverance. They had been rescued from bondage. And we talked about how that was a picture of the greater rescue that comes when the greater than Moses finally came, the Lord Jesus himself to rescue us from our sin. And once we have been freed from the the power of sin that dominated us and ruled us before we came to Christ, once we've been freed from that, God wants us to keep his commandments. Generally speaking, a theologian speak of the threefold use of the law. What are the three purposes of the law? And one of them, of course, is to reveal the, the character of God and the will of God for everyone. Here's the standard of living that you need to go by. And it's especially the fifth through the tenth commandments that deal with how we treat each other that are embedded into the civil laws of many nations in the world. Not because they're Christian nations, but because they know the wisdom of not killing people and not stealing. There's some things that mama and daddy taught us too. You know, don't steal. I stole a piece of bubble gum from Big Star 49 and my dad heard about it. You would have thought I had broken into a bank and cleaned it out. But the principle was there. The principle was there. You shall not steal. We'll get to that, of course, later on. So the Egyptians worshipped all these different gods. And every one of the plagues, we, we won't go into it now, but every one of the plagues represented some of their gods. And so now God comes and the first thing he says You shall not have any other gods before me. Don't be like the Egyptians. And these Ten Commandments were written in stone by the finger of God. Several times in the Old Testament we read that. Implying their permanence. Implying their significance. So the first four commandments deal with how we are to love God. And then commandments five through 10 deal with how we are to love others. Remember how Jesus summarized all the law? You shall love the Lord your God. You shall love your neighbors yourself. Upon these hang all of the commandments. So keep that in mind as we work through these. The first four, how we are to love God. And the last six, how we are to love others. The whole point of These Ten Commandments is not some legal code that that, uh, binds us uh, and restricts us and makes our life more difficult. They actually are keys to blessing and they are to be kept out of love. I'll stress that several times now today. 
Look at the commandments as ways to express your love to God and to others. And it's important that God begins with the commandment he uses here is the first commandment. The order of these commandments are significant. There is a, a, each one is linked to the next and builds upon the previous ones. And if you can't keep the first commandment, then you're not going to be able to keep the other nine commandments. And so it's the first commandment in terms of priority and significance for us, not just because it happens to be the first one in the order here. There is a, a divine order and purpose. Now, with that in mind, let's begin by noticing here that, that this is telling us that, for, first of all, that everyone has a God. Or more properly, everyone has God's little g. Non-Christians, of course, are locked into that until Christ can redeem them. But even as Christians, we still struggle with that. When you stop and think about it, everybody worships the Lord. Or I could put it this way in the form of a question. What percentage of Americans around, uh, Americans around our country today are worshiping? The answer is 100%. Everybody is worshiping a God or gods at any given time, all week long, not just on Sunday. And so the first commandment is couched in the singular. You individually, speaking to the Israelites originally, you individually shall have no other gods before me. What is a God? Of course, a simple response to that that we probably all could agree with is that God is anything that you esteem as the highest and most important thing in your life, anything that you're putting your trust and hope in, anything that you love above everything else. In Romans 1, Paul expressed this in verses 21 and 25, talking about people in general and how we are all sinners by nature. And he says in verse 21 of chapter 1 in Romans, for although they knew God, that is, they knew of the existence of God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 25, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. See that exchange. They knew that there was a God because they're made in the image of God, but they rejected that. They suppressed that, as verse 18 tells us in Romans. And they swapped gods. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature, 
created things rather than the creator. On the face of it, you would think that's not a good thing. (laughs) They had the best and they decided that something was better than that. And so they swapped their allegiances by our nature. That's what we do. We swap allegiances and only God can put that together the way it should be. Who, what is our supreme love? Who or what is our supreme love? There are legitimate loves that we should have for other people and so on. But what do we love supremely? And in what do we place our trust supremely? What are we depending on more than anything else? And you know how easy that we can slip out of the right way to do, of doing that. Think of some of the gods that... <clears throat> we can have. There is the, uh, what I call the preferred God. Well, my God would never judge sinners and send them to hell. I just don't believe that God would allow people to get sick and die. God wouldn't be, God has nothing to do with that. That's just not the way I see God. And on and on we could go. Or what about the God of the state? Increasingly, I'm afraid we have, uh, our government, uh, federal government has turned into a nanny state where they believe it's their responsibility to cure all of Americans' ills, physical and otherwise, financial, whatever. And it's up to the central government, the federal government, to deal with all of that. And so people tend to say, oh, I've got this problem. The government needs to solve it. And that seeps into things like education. And all of that is just food for thought for you because we could, we could spend a lot of time on any of these. What about the God of self? Where a person says, Uh, I'm going to make up my own mind about what I think is right and wrong and what I should believe. I don't want anybody, you know, cramming their beliefs down my throat and making me uh, have to submit to that. That's fine. You can try that. See how it goes for you. And that God of self, you know, there's even a magazine called Self Magazine. The God of self includes things like going all out to take care of yourself and make yourself as healthy as possible. Is that a bad thing? Well, no, unless it becomes your obsession and everything else has to fall under it in terms of priority. Like all, all of these things. They're not bad in themselves. It's just the order, the, the importance we attach to them. Or the the God of self can cause us to be enamored with our looks. We get so carried away with how we look. Vanity. Now, I'm not saying you need to make yourself as ugly as possible. Besides that, that's so subjective. What's ugly and what's beautiful. But we do need to realize that we can become overwhelmed with that in our minds and we just get locked into that. Or how about 
How about the uh, gods of three Ps here? Power, possession, and power, possessions, and position. Power, possessions, positions. I don't need to say any more about those. Most Christians worship the true God, but there are times when we tack on to our worship of God other things in our lives that we make as important, if not more important, than God himself. That's what the Israelites did when they got to the land of Canaan. God said, drive out those who worship false gods. They didn't do that job very well. And because of that, they started worshiping the idols of those other nations, the Hittites, the Perizzites, you know, all the ites. And they didn't stop worshiping Jehovah. They just added to the worship of Jehovah the worship of these other gods. You read through the Old Testament, God's constantly through his servants, the prophets, constantly telling them, no, no, no. And of course they did it anyway and it led to their destruction as a nation. We call that henotheism, H-E-N-O, henotheism. Having one major God and Supplemental gods along with it. None of these, of course, as I said, are necessarily sinful in themselves. But let's ask ourselves, are any of these gods and things like this, the gods that we might sometimes end up worshiping and treating them as gods? The answer is, of course they are. We have these gods And we let them seep into our lives and we get too focused on them and the importance and significance and primacy of God himself is knocked down a notch or two or more. Maybe just for a moment. Maybe for a day, maybe on and off. You know, in Colossians 3, 5, Paul list some of the sins that that, uh, we are to refrain from as God's people. And one of them is coveting. And Paul says in Colossians 3, 5, covetousness, which is idolatry. When we covet, of course, that's the last of the 10 commandments, commandment number 10. When we covet, we're breaking the first commandment, idolatry. We're letting that be more important than our love for and our trust in God supremely. Everyone has a God. And we need to consider what gods we are vulnerable to besides the Lord God himself. We need to train ourselves to catch ourselves and say, oh, I'm, I'm getting off into worshiping this situation in my life and treating it as more important than trusting God who's sovereign over all things. Now notice also in the second place that the true God requires us to worship him exclusively. Exclusively. You shall have no other gods. How can God make such a demand? 
No other gods. You, you are not to have any other gods. Well, let me give you a hint. Think of a married couple. Man and a woman get married and in their marriage vows, there is a promise that it's worded somewhat differently from one set of marriage vows to another, depending on how it's done. But often there's something along these lines where each person says, forsaking others, I will cleave only to you. The negative, forsaking other people, you know, and, and no one else but you. I'm marrying you, and you alone are the one for me, and I will cleave to you. Now, suppose, let's say the husband, somewhere along the way in the marriage says, you know, I think it's going to be convenient for me to have an additional woman. I want to stay married to you, dear, but I want to have an additional woman, too. That's not hypothetical. I'm afraid that happens a lot, whether the wife knows it or not, or it could be reversed. But if the wife were to learn that, she probably is going to respond by saying, well, look, you've got to make up your mind. Is it going to be me? Is it going to be her? And so there's a, a proper kind of jealousy there. And we're going to see in these commandments, God is a jealous God. He wants us to stay faithful to him, to forsake all other gods and cleave only to him. You shall have no other gods before me. Notice the pronouns there. You, singular, are to have no other gods before me. You and me. And the Bible does treat our relationship with Christ as being like a marriage. We are the bride of Christ. And we are to be faithful to our husband Christ in our relationship, our covenant relationship that God has established. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. We worship God alone because of his relation to other gods. Many times in the scriptures, we're told that all the other gods, gods of wood, stone, whatever it happens to be, those gods are not real. You're putting in trust in things that can't speak, can't love you, can't act on your behalf. They're inert. Psalm 95. He is a great God above all the gods. Verse 3. Psalm 96, verses 4 and 5 says basically the same thing. And on and on we can go. We heard that earlier in the call to worship and in the things that we've been processing here in our worship today. Actually, back in Exodus 15 and 11, when Moses sang this song, or led the people singing, he said, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Little g. Who is like you among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? What a great verse that is. The poet Elizabeth Barrett Browning 
wrote a poem called Idols. And in it, she wrote how weak the gods of this world are and weaker yet their worship made me. We worship God alone because in relation to other gods, there's no comparison. Isaiah 40, God says multiple times, to whom will you compare me? To whom will you liken me? There really is no comparison. God's in another category all by himself. That's why we should worship him only. And we, of course, worship him because of his relation to everybody else. Acts 17 says, Paul says <clears throat> that God made all of us from one man. The whole human race owes its existence to God. Can your bank account say that of you? <clears throat> that you owe your existence to your bank account <laughs> and you depend upon it for your life? There's too many uncertainties in life, but God is the absolute rock solid certainty of our lives. God told Abraham in Genesis 17, one, I am God almighty, walk before me and be blameless. Before me, you shall have no other gods before me. That can mean <clears throat> in my presence, you shall have no other gods in my presence, or it could mean you shall have no other gods besides me. Actually, both of those are true. Commentators debate on which one is probably the most likely one. But I'm just saying that those, both of those things are biblically true. Live your life in the light that God is right there and you are living in his presence. Whether you see him or not, he is there. He knows everything about you. And you want him to be pleased because he is your God. He is the true and living God. Is it not right that God reserves exclusive rights for our worship? Hopefully we all know the answer to that. Lastly, notice the true God directs us how to worship him. All right, we are to worship God only. How do we go about doing that? Well, this commandment is, and other passages in scripture give us answers to that. I'll give you a few examples, but the next commandment, the second commandment, you shall not make any graven image or likeness of me, will get us into more of the how of worship that we'll look at in a few weeks. But let's just remember this. How should we worship God? Well, we worship God and God exclusively first by knowing him. Knowing him. First Chronicles 28, 9 is a good passage to keep in mind with this. This is what it says. David is giving his last words to Solomon. And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind for the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Know the Lord, Solomon. Know the Lord that I came to know, David is saying. 
That's one of the things that we do as a church, isn't it? We, we help each other with our gifts and encouragement and, and activities to know the Lord. Jesus said, this is eternal life, to know him, Christ, to know him savingly, to know him with a heart, love, and trust in him exclusively. Know the Lord and grow in your knowledge of the Lord. Christ is the perfect lawgiver and the perfect law keeper for us. We are to worship him alone. Also, we are to choose him. We are to know the Lord, but we are also to choose the Lord. And you see from, you can see this from Joshua chapter 24, which is a passage that many of us know quite well, at least part of it. The very end of, of Joshua, Joshua is exhorting the Israelites and telling them they need to make up their minds. They need to make a decision about which God they're going to worship and serve. And in that speech he gave in chapter 24, he says this in verses 14 through 16. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Choose. We're not puppets here, you know. God says, here it is. Now you need to decide what you're going to do. Are you going to worship and serve me? Or are you going to worship and serve some other God or gods? Have you made that <clears throat> determination in your own life? You know, we don't drift into keeping this commandment. It's something that we have to do by our own decision of commitment. As for me, I will serve the Lord. And if I have others in my family, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. When you make that commitment, <clears throat> you are saying, I'm going to consciously seek to honor God and please God in my life. Will you do it perfectly? Of course not. But when you do break this commandment, and you will, and I will, we all do, we all break the first commandment, you repent. You confess, Lord, forgive me for making this more important in my life, obsessing over it and worrying about it when I should have given it to you, and my, my calling in life is to do your will. And what is God's will? Live by his commandments. That is what glorifies him. Know him, choose him, and love him. Now I'll come back to the word love. Remember in Deuteronomy 6, beginning at verse 4, the great call that Moses gave to the, the Israelites. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God. And he goes on to say, and teach your children in the process. 
You see, keeping the commandments is not a chore for the Christian. Yes, sometimes it, it challenges us and we struggle with it, but ultimately it is an act of love for God. Lord, I love you so much that I'm going to do your will. I'm going to obey this commandment and all the others. Even though I'll fail at times, I'm committed to that because I know that's what glorifies you and I know that's what's best for me. Why do parents give those kids rules? Because they love them. Because they want to protect them. Because they want to enable them to enjoy true freedom and love in their relationships. John Calvin put it this way, and I'll finish with this. He said, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, the Christian refrains himself from sinning, not out of dread of punishment alone, but because he loves and reveres God as father, he worships and adores him as Lord. And here's the, Here's the thing that really strikes us. Even if there were no hell, he would shudder at offending him, offending God alone. Even if there wasn't a hell to be afraid of because I break this commandment, I would do it anyway out of love because of my, my love and my fear of the Lord that makes me want to honor him. Trust and obey, as we sang last week. Would you want any other God but the God of the Bible? Do you need any other God but the God of the Bible? Is there any other God in reality but this great, merciful, loving, sovereign, all-wise God? He is worthy of our trust and our exclusive supreme devotion. Worship the Lord God and him only. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is clear and it is given out of love. Your law is given out of love for us. And we thank you, Lord, that you expressed that love for us by sending your son who kept the law completely because we couldn't. But trusting in him alone, you will receive us. You will count us as righteous in your sight. And then you will give us through the Holy Spirit's sanctifying work, you will give us the desire and the ability to not break this first commandment. May that be our supreme goal in our lives. Help us day by day that we might be faithful to this commandment, this loving commandment. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.